The healthcare industry is in the midst of a digital revolution, adopting technologies that are changing the way that healthcare delivery and services are conceived and distributed. But is it improving how the industry performs? Hello and welcome to Dynamics High Five Podcast, our take on specific healthcare industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm Mindy McGrath, and I'm joined by my colleagues, co-host, and fellow healthcare industry enthusiast, Ryan Hummel. Hi, everybody. And Mike Catone. Hey, guys. In today's episode, we're chatting about digital technologies that have changed the way that healthcare industry enterprises are carrying out everyday tasks. Today, we'll talk about what that means to the industry and what the future may hold. And stick around for our parting thought. It's that thing that we've either read, heard, or seen that we'd like to share with you. So let's get digital, guys. Uh, in healthcare circles, if we're not discussing value or cost, then nine times out of 10, we're talking digital. And the term digital in healthcare means a lot of different things, depending on the sector, depending on the function. So what are we talking about when it comes to this ubiquitous topic? Well, it's not only a ubiquitous topic, it's a really hot topic. And investment and interest in digital technology increases every year. And I don't think we're going to see any slowing down. Yeah, the pace has been amazing, hasn't it? Like yeah. just year on year over the last three years, like the trajectory of investment has just been mind boggling. Yeah. And that's interesting because we're kind of seeing a leveling off of new smartphone sales because we're getting to that area where there's sort of a saturation in the smartphone market. But I think as more people get comfortable with using smartphones and, and deploying digital technologies, the the case for investment is a lot better than it maybe had been previously. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of different ways that people talk about digital. And in today's episode, what we're going to do is kind of define digital, not as just zeros and ones and binary code. That's sort of where the term digital comes from, being comprised of digits. Today, we'll talk about it as technological tools that use computation and connectivity to provide users with capabilities and generate data that are collected and analyzed to further improve experiences or for additional analytical purposes. And a lot of digital is really about the data and the data that's produced using digital services and technologies, how it's used, how it's transformed, and how it's how it's actually deployed to make the services better or to provide additional information uh, to the individuals using the service or the people actually providing the service. Is it also about distribution too? Because I, data is one thing and there's a huge amount of data out there, but don't you think digital also has a distribution element to it as well? in terms of just the encompassing of you know, collecting the data and then how it actually gets shared. Yeah, I think there are a lot of there are there's a lot of challenges and a lot of problems that need to be solved with how data is shared, collected, managed and I think one step further than that is once that data is shared and sort of ends up in its final destination, what is it being used for? Because a lot of the data that's produced today just sort of sits and never actually gets activated or acted on. And I think what we're going to see, and we'll talk about a little bit more in this episode, is creating more data that's meaningful, that is actually used and sort of not just sit, set and collected and stored for, for reference. There are There's something about effective digital tools that... They're, they're really meant to solve unique problems. And effective digital tools really solve problems instead, as opposed to sort of being built out just to, on their own merits, just to exist as, as an application or a service. They're, they're, they're actually driving after a problem. Another unique aspect around digital tools is 
they present an opportunity for feedback for new and unique ways that we may not have seen before. And I think this is something that's going to be especially interesting within healthcare. Uh, there's, a, there's a feedback and a continuous communication loop that some of these digital tools and services enable. And that opens up opportunity for a whole new set of, of services for providers to deploy. Yeah, Mike, I'm really stoked to see how we're going to go from zeros and ones that you mentioned before to this applicability of, of the digital age. And and I could say this statement, I think, for the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years every year, but we've never lived in a world where we've created this much data. Uh, this is a sentence I think well, that would be true in the past, but it will be true in the future as well. We did a little research, and according to Forbes, <clears throat> are you guys ready for this? We're creating 2.5 quintillion bytes of data every day. That's a lot of data. That's a lot of data. That's a 2.5 and 17 zeros after it, I counted. Um, and to put that number in more context, I mean, we all know what a billion is. It's a one with nine zeros. A quintillion is one billion billions. It's just hard to fathom. And I think it's hard to put our heads around how fast we've gotten to that really ridiculous number. Therefore, it's easy to understand how we may be kind of grossly underutilizing or misutilizing this data. And frankly, it's a little daunting as well. Yeah, and I think for healthcare enterprises that have really jumped into the digital age, um, there are some questions around the data that they still need to be asking themselves. Simple things like who owns it? Who profits from it? How do users control what is shared and how it's shared? And what kind of privacy implications present themselves when this amount of data is being produced on a daily basis? And I think these are, while they're simple questions, there are big ramifications on the back end for an industry that has a really special sensitivity to things like privacy. Yeah, and I think I think just to comment on that, you know, it's an interesting piece because we, we did a blockchain a podcast just in the last episode, and we talked a little bit about the reluctance of the healthcare industry to adopt that with, because they have that ultra sensitivity to these things. So it's no it's no different here in the digital topic. I think there's there's a little bit of a distinction though because I think blockchain you have an emerging technology that's people are a little confused about they're maybe a little afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Digital technology, on the other hand, sort of as a broader area of focus, people are used to interacting with every day of their life now. Yeah, I, the, I think it's the life stage of yeah. each of them, right? I mean, I think mm-hmm. that we we're, they're getting to understand what digital is, and maybe blockchain's a little f- more early in its adoption or understanding. So I hear you loud and clear, Mike. Yeah, and I I think that. Companies, and specifically within the healthcare industry, have a pretty high bar in front of them because consumers, as the line between patient and consumer blurs more and more, like we've talked about in many of our podcasts, these patient consumers are using digital applications and services basically in every other area of their life already. So they've got something to compare it to. So if a company or a group within the healthcare industry deploys a digital solution, it has to live up to the standards of outside of the healthcare industry. Right. And what their experience is exactly. everywhere else. And they're interacting right. with them constantly. So it's it's definitely it's gonna create it's gonna create, I think, a lot better experiences because it's gonna it's going to force these healthcare industry companies to create meaningful, rich digital experiences. But I think it's gonna be that much harder because of the additional hurdles that exist sort of within the healthcare landscape. Yeah. So if I um if I say the healthcare industry is adopting adopting digital to do what? Because we like to talk about jobs to be done when we're talking about technology and, and those types of solutions. What do you say? So I'd say 
a, a few things that come to mind immediately is number one, streamlining the patient physician interaction sort of through online patient portals. I think a, a lot of health systems have that now where you can sort of log in with a username and password and see your test results and actually connect with your physician in a way that's novel. You may not have to call a doctor's office to make an appointment. And something like that is a pretty, a pretty big shift change from the way uh, people may have been doing it for the last however many years to actually get into the office and, and understand um, their health history. They're also connecting with patients directly or enabling patient-to-patient -patient connections on social media platforms. So there are a lot of companies that are interacting with with patients uh, online. Maybe that's through Twitter or maybe that's within Facebook groups or they're building out these patient communities where patients with similar with the same condition uh, can go for support, can go for education. And they're also expediting the sharing of information between providers, patients, and caregivers. And they're trying to build ecosystems where this information is not only shared in an easy way, but sometimes shared automatically to kind of enable a passive monitoring of, of a condition. I think that is a super interesting use case. Yeah, and, and I would just add to that and say I agree with everything Mike just said. I'd also say consistency. Um, I don't know if that's a job, but I think that the digital revolution is it, what what a lot of providers are, are yearning for is and health plans as well, frankly, mm -hmm. is a consistent way to manage the patient as a whole. And we know that medicine is such a personalized um, way of doing things, and we've been ultra successful for the last you know hundreds of years in doing that. But there's an inconsistency that exists, and hopefully, the digital these digital technologies and solutions will will keep medicine personal, but also create a very nice consistent so that creates better data for the future. And I think when I think digital, I think about the adoption of digital is really about three things. I think it's about consumers, I think it's about cost reduction, and I think it's about care coordination, and maybe a third, fourth C, which would be collaboration. Yep. So. Yeah, and I'd say this, I mean, just one more comment about that. We, we hover around a lot of these spaces a lot, and, and I would argue that from a provider perspective, there's been enormous great adoption uh, of digital clinically in the healthcare space. Um, but where, where there's not maybe the best of adoption is operationally in the health systems on that cost cutting. So I think that there's some work to be done there. Yeah, I think there are definitely differences when we talk about each of the healthcare sectors in what digital is being used for today and sort of where the focus uh, is, really, is, is really centered. So within the life sciences sector, there are digital tools that are being used within sales forces to really understand interactions with physicians. So they're offering more insight and depth into the way that conversations with physicians happen. What are the things that physicians are interested in? What are the things that the physicians are going to take to their patients? And that's actually going to help them deliver care in the most effective way. And how can a company actually target that and, and amplify that message and find out the thing that's important to the physician to have the most meaningful conversation that's going to directly that's going to directly impact the care that the patient is getting getting there's more real-time interactions with patients with patients and between pa patients on social media platforms and a lot of life sciences companies who are building out and sort of supporting these digital ecosystems like I just spoke about uh, it's presenting like novel sort of regulatory and compliance challenges because the regulatory and compliance landscapes, within life sciences specifically, are pretty rigorous around what you can say, what you can't say in public sphere, making sure you're adhering to what's on the label. And when you open that up to any kind of public forum, that's always tricky. So that presents an, a really interesting challenge. And 
how I think balancing the richness in conversation and sort of the additional benefit that patients can have through these kind of environments with staying compliant and making sure that you're adhering to you know, you know the, your best business practices is an interesting challenge that a lot of companies are going through right now. There Absolutely. are a lot, yeah, there are also a lot of like digital marketing advancements that kind of get into that privacy slash like personal health information space. Um, when it comes to using information on social media platforms to maybe target advertising to a specific group, um, there may be maybe you're not targeting uh, based on diabetes status, but maybe you're targeting based on an age and demographic and geographic information that is sort of health information adjacent. And how do you how do you kind of navigate that and and utilize the resources in the best way possible to to do that while also not feeling creepy? I think everybody who has an online presence is um, conscious of not feeling creepy and sort of like too intrusive. And we have so many we have so much data out on social media platforms, specifically where companies can access it most of the time. That that's like a very tricky line to to toe. And additionally, one of the other sort of big areas of focus, especially within life sciences, is our digital applications that are being built and deployed out to patients. Uh, We've heard this a lot, and I know that my experience in the life sciences sector has taught me that offering services around the pill or outside of the pill is um, is a huge area of focus for life sciences companies as they seek to differentiate themselves against competitors on the market. Sometimes it's those those surround sound services that actually is driving people to ask for their prescription drug over a different prescription drug. And there are going to be more, even more tailored experiences as medicine becomes more personalized in the future. So we add, as we move toward a, you know, the true goal, I think the true goal of a lot of life sciences companies and the broader healthcare industry in general is to get to actually truly personalized medicine so how do you build out digital tools that are meant to service everyone if you've got to serve if you've got to serve each individual patient in a specific way right and it's interesting too because if you think about some of the challenges that life sciences have um, you know one of the primary challenges that they have are with on the commercial side of the business they're always steering towards acquisition of patients and then the the gold standard right is how do you get people to stay on their medications as prescribed or be adherent I also think about that the application of digital technologies in the R&D side of things. And we know that R&D has been an area that, um, you know, life sciences companies are trying to put some more rigor around in an effort to become more efficient and effective at their hit rates with drug development. Um, but I think you think about where some of the adoption in digital has taken place in R&D around things like drug candidate selection, um, you know, and what that requires in terms of collecting, processing, and analyzing enormous amounts of data, Um, just volumes and volumes of biologic and chemical and clinical data to even identify a potential molecule that could become a drug candidate. Uh, You think about how some R&D groups within life sciences are looking at digital technologies as a way for them to address really what's been a challenge for them around clinical trial and recruitment. It is very, very difficult in the clinical trial world to recruit an adequate amount of patients and then to retain them throughout the study. And so, you know, R&D 
groups are really looking at digital as a way to help them solve some of those challenges that have really been decade-long challenges. They're not new challenges. It's just the digital opportunities are representing new ways for them to think about how they might approach these challenges in a way that will allow them to be more effective. It's funny, you mentioned life sciences, and and there are also some cross-sector initiatives that are going on around digitization in the digital era. And leading life science companies are drawing on the EHR. You talked about clinical trials, for example, and trying to figure out how uh, life sciences can tap into the EHR to get some really good data and creating a bridge between the EHR and the information on clinical data. And also CPOE. And before we even move any further on that, I wanted to make sure everyone knows that CPOD is Computerized Physician Order Entry. And we, we may know that term, but it's really the idea that it's a process for electronic entry for physicians, clinicians, nurse practitioners, um, while patients are under that care. So the idea behind CPOE is that um, it makes things more efficient, consistent, some of the things we've been talking about. So we're seeing like this cross-coordination of all these different sectors between, like I said, EHR, CPOE, claims, and then making sure that the socioeconomic and behavioral claims data um, is part of that to understand outcomes better. I think that there's a lot there's a lot of promise in digital around the idea of just sort of being able to mobilize efforts in a lot of different functional areas. And that especially gets interesting when you're talking about sort of crossing that bridge. So for example, life sciences companies have a ton of rich data on disease, anatomy, physiology, but providers have a lot of that data too. And traditionally, they may not be working together on individual cases around specific types of data. Imagine what kind of digital tools can be built to bridge that gap and create an even richer and more meaningful interaction to the patient. In a world where patients are used to co-pays and not paying directly for things, for example, like solutions that are outside of the typical prescriptions, um, we have to change the mindset because that stuff doesn't exist now. And I think there's, you know, we're talking about life science, the insular ideas of life science firms and health systems and health plans, but we have to change the paradigm from a patient perspective, how they treat healthcare and purchases as well. Um, anyway, I mentioned some of the stumbling blocks and hurdles that providers are facing and not moving fast enough in a digital era. There, I also mentioned the clinical revolution of, of digital as well. I think that providers and health systems are doing incredible work in the digital world with robotics and surgery. Um, lap, I mean, even laparoscopic surgery has become digital. And, and these clinical pathways um, that exist even for point-of-care testing and training is all digitalized and personalized. And your health systems are able to kind of adopt those clinical pathways and clinical solutions in an instant when, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago is a much more manual process. Absolutely. Speaking of in an instant, uh, one of the things I'm really excited for is sort of the the entrance of uh, the 5G networking capability into the landscape. Uh, so that's something that's coming over the next few years. So Verizon is committed to sort of rolling out the first um, 5G towers in 2019. And if the only thing you need to know about 5G now is that the biggest difference is going to be not only in browsing speed, but in a decrease in latency. And I'm getting a little technical here, but latency is basically You're a lot technical. Uh, but that's okay. La- Roll la- with it. <laughs> I I will get back. I've got. I'm I'm gonna walk us back to the point I'm, I was making originally. Latency is sort of the delay between when you input a command to a system and when the system actually executes the command. 
and 5G has the promise to drastically reduce that latency from something like average of 60 milliseconds to less than 5 milliseconds. And when you do that, you enable remote robotic surgery. So that is like a paradigm shift that I don't even know how the healthcare system is is going to deal with that. That that's such an incredible technology that it like actually seems like something out of Star Trek. Right. So that that is a digital tool that is like immediately in our horizon that is going to be super fascinating to see, you know, when the first robotic surgery is going to be performed and right. when that becomes normal and how long is that gap between when the first time it happens and when it's normal. Well, you think about how it could be applied to things like rural mm-hmm. healthcare, right, where there is shortages of specialists and physicians that can do those types of procedures. Um, it seems to me like those are the types of things that you look forward to and say, okay, that's where digital really has a role in helping to change the way the delivery of care is actually considered, especially in hard-to-reach places. So there's all these great things that we've talked about around adoption of digital technology. Is there anything that slows down that adoption rate? I think generally the concern uh, around privacy and patient data, uh, I think laws like HIPAA sort of make that an important consideration throughout the healthcare industry. And there could be, I think there's maybe a little bit of a drag from that, uh, from that viewpoint. There are there's a lot of valuable information in personal health records. They're kind of the mecca of personal information because they contain not only uh, things like your name and your social security number, like your credit card application, but they contain a lot more information about you. So they have everything an identity thief wants and more. And there's going to be an important, I think, um, cybersecurity sort of revolution in the next 10 years to figure out automatic ways to detect when hackers are trying to breach a system and get into a system and access records that are and they're not authorized to do it and Johns Hopkins University of Medicine actually created an AI powered system to combat hacking and unauthorized access to electronic medical records and I think we're going to see efforts like that just continue to blossom it's, it's a really important problem that's on that we're like on the frontier of so i think more and more institutions are going to invest in ways to protect that right because if you don't protect it it impacts trust which we already know is a challenge in this industry so i can see how that could be one of the main drags right now in terms of just adoption and and trusting that the data is going to be secure um, you know some of the things that so we've talked about life sciences we've talked about providers which is really interesting I like to look at health plans and see what's going on in the digital world because it's starting to gain some real legs in areas like consumerism and how plans are thinking about adopting digital for their cost reduction efforts and their care coordination efforts. Um, For health plans, you think about the role that they've played traditionally, right, in the healthcare system. It's it's been very transaction-oriented. And I think many health plans are starting to rethink, right, what their business model and their capabilities look like in terms of how they expand the value of, you know, the role that they play in the system. And for them, I mean, the adoption of different types of digital is enabling them to kind of rethink how they think about members as consumers and the experience. Mike, you talked a lot about this, right, the experience that members expect and how they expect it to be on par with other experiences that they have outside of the healthcare world. Um, you know, one of the, the 
examples that we've talked about offline before, but you look at Oscar Health, which is kind of the darling health plan, right, of the, the industry right now. They got started in 2012, and they had this vision of really using digital to change the way that basically users interfaced with health plans. And so for them, what that meant is how do we use digital to make sure that um, plans and benefits are easier to understand, that there are tools um, such as smartwatches and Fitbits and those types of things that tie into the way that Oscar is servicing their members and helping members think about health and wellness. And you know, at its real core, right, Oscar is using digital technology to really try to simplify the entire health insurance market experience, um, which I think is really interesting because for legacy health plans, this has been a challenge for them. Uh, so I think you look at how companies like that are, you know, have really tried to adopt digital as a way to upset the apple cart in the industry and really set and define a new, a new type of experience for their consumers. I think to the other extent, I keep talking about digital being part of cost reduction. Um, what we have seen health plans do pretty rapidly is automate their business processes, including things like adjudication process and really trying to take them, I don't want to say the human out of it, but where the, where the touch points are so that digitizing and this becomes much easier for them as a process and kind of safeguards breakdowns that may occur. So we're seeing things like, you know, smart contracting and the adoption of machine learning when it comes to claims adjudication. Um, and then finally, care coordination, which for a health plan, if you think about the health plan, really touching almost every aspect of healthcare delivery, whether it's a provider, whether it's a life sciences organization, whether it's those intermediaries that we talk about. I mean, health plans really the, the, the claim and the money kind of flows through them on a regular basis. So one of the opportunities they have, right, is to really work with other um, sectors within healthcare to improve how care is coordinated for their members. And we are starting to see the adoption of digital technologies um, as a part of new models that are being rolled out by health plans. So I think it's interesting to see, right, like life sciences companies really have have um, been kind of pioneers to a certain extent with their digital adoption, especially in the commercial space. Providers have used it um, in an excellent way in the clinical piece of it. And now you see health plans that are jumping in and saying, well, these are the three things that really matter to me, and I'm going to adopt digital technology. Um, tools and, and um, solutions to see if I can't improve upon my my focus on consumers and care coordination and cost reduction. So for me, Mindy, it really is all about the data. And I think the way that not only health plans, but just sort of individuals and providers and people within the sort of healthcare ecosystem can track and manage themselves and their patients is a huge, that's a huge opportunity within digital. There are companies like Fitbit and Apple that are sort of producing these hardware pieces that initially they were produced to monitor every, the steps you took every day. And over time, they've gotten more and more advanced um, to monitor heart rate and to remind you to breathe. And you know, we might see in the future, they might have a continuous glucose monitor that you can trap on it or different diagnostic tools that can interface with it in a really new and novel way. So I think basically just the ability to understand how your body is performing on a daily basis and what kind of what kind of effect that has on your overall health 
is just enormous. Yeah, and I appreciate this kind of pivot to the private industry. I think the private sector is moving faster, Mike. I think it's a really great point. You know, Apple has even embedded a health records section in the latest iOS upgrade and release. So you can actually store your health data in one place. I mean, just the thought of that is just mind-blowing. And I, I often think when we think about wearables um, that these kinds of things are a little bit like a human check engine light, right? And it, I, I just think it's such a fascinating way of doing things. And you mentioned Apple, but there are other competitors that are releasing and competing and, and cooperating with the healthcare industry around wearables and dedicating much of its time to getting data into the wearables and back to the healthcare uh, system, which I think is great. And in fact, something like five of the world's 10 largest digital companies have all announced major health initiatives over the past year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for these types of organizations, you know, the key advantage for them in the coming years is going to be their ability to collect all this data and then really feed algorithms that become relevant in part of the care and clinical protocols and some of the efforts around even identifying, you know, new types of molecules that could become drugs that meet unmet needs. So I think this could be a first step, right, for a lot of these these organizations in launching themselves into the healthcare industry, and everybody seems to be want to be a part of it. As cool as digital is, and as interesting as it is, um, costs continue to rise in healthcare, and our performance as a healthcare system is, some would say, maybe marginal at best. So, being the healthy skeptic that I am, I want to ask your opinions on what you think the value of digital is, ultimately, what it brings to the industry, and how it helps to improve quality, decrease cost, and create a better performing healthcare system. So uh, I'll use my favorite word, like I used on my on the blockchain podcast. Um, digital is not a panacea. So you we're can, you can no longer use that term after today. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Two two episodes in a row is, is okay with me. And it's not going to just uh, digital technologies are not just going to solve problems because they're implemented. I think they're they're complex and they need to be continuously monitored and improved and allow for feedback. But I think deployed safely, securely, and simply, I think there's long-term value in a lot of areas, and there's a few that come to mind, are, like we talked about, sort of the continuous remote monitoring that wearable technology uh, actually makes possible to understand how to combat preventable diseases, but maybe in the future, look out for markers of diseases we don't necessarily think of as preventable today that actually may be preventable. We just don't have the information to know that there's sort of a root cause that we can go after. I think in an increased adoption in telemedicine with maybe the advent of remotely based sensors and tools, maybe instead of you having to go into the doctor's office for an x-ray, maybe there are simple x-ray booths at the mall or at the post office where you can go in and sort of run a rudimentary diagnostic test. That information is shared digitally with the provider, and that sort of cuts down on a lot of a lot of the uh, a lot of the friction points within the healthcare ecosystem. And I think you're talking about cost specifically. So those are I think those both hit cost and improving the quality of care. I think looking at it from a cost standpoint, we know that a lot of the cost in the healthcare system is actually incurred during end of life. And I think that there's a huge there's a huge opportunity for digital tools to help maybe deliver some of that care that is traditionally delivered out of the home setting in the home. And if you can bring a lot of that in the home, 
you're cutting down on a lot of the costs that almost all of us will encounter. And as we continue to get healthier as a population, we're going to be old longer. And that's a good thing, but it produces a whole a whole new set of challenges. I actually read yesterday, yesterday, that the fastest growing population segment in the United States today is 85 to 94-year-olds. Wow. And that is fascinating to me. As a percentage of how it exists today, 85 to 94-year-olds are growing the fastest of any population segment. And that is an incredible challenge. Yeah. Because it has a that whole is world of implications oh, yeah. that we haven't even wrapped our heads around. Exactly. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to answer you a little more uh, broadly. And I'll say from a micro level, I think in order for digital to bring value to the industry specific, maybe to providers, is we've talked about the clinical um, revolution of digital and maybe the, the, the kind of lagging operational sand. I think they complement each other because I would argue that clinical technology and digitization costs maybe more initially. And when you figure out some operational efficiencies around that, they complement each other. So I think getting that bridge, uh, but I think outside of that, I think the opportunity to bring value to digital is for the ability to these sectors, you know, we mentioned most of them between public health providers, healthcare technology, life sciences, and health plans to be more open to share their digital findings and 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 revolution with each other because i think that is the key to success and right and trying and trying to find value yeah cross-sector play right well digital certainly is an interesting topic uh with no shortage of data in this industry there is significant opportunity for healthcare enterprises to approach digital efforts in so many different ways um, we could talk about this all day. We actually usually do. But it is time to wrap up this part of the episode and move on to our parting thought. The week of Black Friday, a company called Veritas Genetics was actually having a sale on their whole human genome sequencing for who wants to guess the price? Uh, $600. $800. $200. So, I'm in. That is that is an incredibly low price for an unbelievable amount of information about yourself. And their normal sticker price was $1000. So they sort of recognized that they were taking a loss on this and the whole idea was they really wanted to introduce it was it's kind of a PR play. They wanted to introduce the idea that this $1000 whole genome sequence testing is out there to the general public because it's been available for a few years and a lot of a lot of observers in the industry predicted that once you got below that $1,000 price point, people were going to start pulling the trigger on doing this. Now, this whole human genotype, a whole, whole gene sequencing is much more thorough than what a service like 23andMe offers. They look at about 1.2% of your DNA as opposed to the entire sequence of your DNA. The Veritas Genetics Company actually requires a physician sign-off to do this so that when you get this information back, your doctor is prepared to talk to you about it. They offer genetic counseling. And what this really made me think about was how will the addition of digital services to our healthcare ecosystem affect different socioeconomic groups? So my parting thought for the day is a, about a recent survey that Health Intelligent Network actually released on the status of telehealth 
which is, once again, another digital solution that's been adopted by providers. Um, the study really highlighted that telehealth is no longer reserved for rural populations, which is where we saw it really originate. Instead, telehealth is proving to be a game changer across the care continuum as the industry tests the use of things like telepsychiatry, tele-ERs, tele-ICUs, and even telepharmacy to really try to bridge gaps and make healthcare more accessible and efficient. The percentage of healthcare organizations using telehealth rose from 63% in 2015 to 74% in 2018. There have been significant regulatory hurdles in the telehealth space, but now there seems to be some momentum really building around this. The survey offered what I thought was a really comprehensive view on the growth in this space and how telehealth is actually being applied within the provider sector. So if you get a moment, check out Health Intelligent Network's release of this survey. That's great. My, my parting thought affects or addresses, I think, a real big societal issue that is bipartisan, it's universal, and it's something we probably keep our eyes off of. But I read a stat, uh, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, that healthcare and social workers suffered 69%, that's 7 out of 10, of all workplace violence injuries in 2016. And that's just a shocking number to me. They're nearly five times more likely to experience violence on the job than the average U.S. worker, and they're more likely to get injured at work than police officers and guards in prisons. So, and nurses, you know, specifically are suffer the most here. So there's a there's a bill that's being pre uh, presented in front of Congress. It's called the Workplace Violence Prevention for Health Care and Social Services Work Act. That's a mouthful, but really what it does, it requires health systems and hospitals, nursing homes, rehab centers, and even jails to develop a workplace safety plan to, pr to protect their workers. Um, the bill also requires employers to record and investigate all complaints of violence and prohibits retaliation from 911 calls, which apparently doesn't happen now. So I, I just think that, you know, we talk a lot about patients' rights and we talk about all these great clinical solutions. Um, there is, there's a large problem in healthcare around violence with these folks that are providing the care to patients. And it's, it's, it's kind of sickening. And I think it's perhaps a good bipartisan way to kind of protect the millions of nurses and healthcare workers that we have in America today. So this concludes today's High Five podcast, and we want to hear from you about today's episode or other topics that may be on your mind. Please feel free to contact us at 888-FINAMIC and share your message. And for links to anything that we talked about on today's episode, please reference your favorite podcast app or visit us on the Vynamic uh, webpage. And until the next cast, have a great day.